this is episode 11 of Going Beyond Salvation uh, on season 2. And this is your host, Jess Robinson. And today we're finishing up Leviticus to start with. This is actually going to be a really full-packed episode because we have you know, Leviticus, Numbers, Psalms, Proverbs, and you know, the Gospel of Mark to talk about today. So this is going to probably be a lengthy episode. We'll see how it kind of goes. So to finish up chapter 27, most of it is talking about vows, which we talked about yesterday, and that they had a set value. And then as we see that no one could uh, dedicate a firstborn animal, you know, because it already belonged to the Lord. So there were certain conditions how vows had to be. And so that's pretty much that part of 27. And then we get into verse 30 and it's talking about tithe. And you hear about it, especially brand new believers, you're going to hear about it in churches about doing tithes and offerings. Now, a tithe is a tenth of both. In in that time, it was a, a, you know, a tenth of both the produce of the land and the livestock that was given to the Lord. And you're going to actually see Jesus, like it got to the point, like even the Israelites were tithing spices in that time and, and later on in the new Testament times. And he, he criticizes them for it. But in this part in Leviticus, what it was, was land and and livestock. And it was given to the Lord. And that tithe was given to support the Levites because the Levites were set apart for the Lord. They dealt with the temple work and and taking care of uh, all, you know, just serving the Lord, you know, kind of like your ministers and, and missionaries and those that are set apart for the Lord and the priests. And they were to assist in sacred meals. They were to aid the poor and the fatherless and the widows as well. And so a tithe was generally, that's what it was used in that that time. A tithe now goes, it still goes for the work of the Lord. A tithe generally is is put into a general account and that money is used in a church for, for what it's needed for to continue the work of the Lord. May it be paying bills, may it be helping, you know, may it be set aside to help people who, you know, need help with rent, whatever it may be, tithe is generally given to the church and used for the work of the church. Now, what about missions? Missions offerings is different from a tithe. It is actually going above and beyond your tithe. And, you know, generally what I, I, I guide people is, is let the Lord lead you. If the Lord starts you off with tithing, but you don't, he's not telling you to do a missions offering yet, then you follow what the Lord's direction is, you know, and and it's just prayerful being prayerful. Generally it's a 10th, but I have known of people that the Lord has specifically, you know, because it's been a hard area, tithing is a hard area and he will challenge them by making them give higher. I've heard of, of different, scenarios that way but generally it's a tenth or whatever the lord leads you there's some people it's a above and beyond the tenth 
of of their paycheck because the Lord leads them. And then, you know, they there's those who give above and beyond the tithe. And that, that when you give above and beyond, that is something you need to be prayerful about and letting the Lord lead and guide you. So, you know, if you end up getting an inheritance or something and you feel led to give this amount, that's that's going above and beyond your tithing, you know? So, but tithing is something that is huge in the body of Christ. And it, and it's, this isn't the first time that it's mentioned. We all know several times in, in, in the book of Genesis, it was pointing to tithing and, uh, you know, such as with Abraham and Melchizedek, for example. And it, um, I'm going to refer somebody, you know, refer you to somebody that's really good, has really good teachings about tithing. And that is Robert Morris. If you ever want to go deeper into understanding tithing, he does a really good series about tithing because he gets down into it, like how, where, and he even points it to the garden and, and that, yes, tithing is personal with God because, you know, that's, Everything is his in the first place. So, and I like the imagery that, you know, Robert Morris uses in one of his teachings that, you know, there's, you know, he's going off and he's leaving, you know, so much money with his wife. And then he has three, you know, of his faithful stewards three of his stewards and he gives them so much money but the only thing he asks for is to give a little bit more to help his wife each month and so you know and the story goes on that this one and I don't remember the exact amounts how he put it but you know this one steward when you know when you know, he ends up talking to his wife. He finds out the one steward that is doing great, you know, he's, he's going above and beyond and, and giving this amount of money. And then this other guy, you know, and he's doing great and being faithful. But the third steward is only doing like 200, 300 a month, but now hasn't paid for two months. That's personal. You know, when you think about that. And so, you know, tithing is personal to God, which is true. You know, he only asks a little bit. And when you do the math, it's not that much that you're giving. But it's all he asks for. And it's it's a test of faith. And, And when you think about it with tithing, too, it's what who are you thanking for, for, for your job? Who are you thanking for, for providing? Are you, and who are you going to spend that money first with? And so if you're giving to God, you're giving God the thanks and the honor for, and, and the glory for, for providing this and that, yes, it's all his, but I'm, I'm going to give, you know, freely to you. And it's, it's something that you have to freely freely want to do. And so 
if you haven't tithed or, you know, you've been struggling in that area, I just challenge you to really get into prayer with the Lord about it and let him guide and direct you how he wants to have you tithe. And he's, you know, he's a generous God. He's going to guide and direct you how, how he wants it. And he's very personal about it. And I know it's really hard to let go to uh, let go of money, especially these days, like when this is being recorded, this is going on with the coronavirus and there's people that, you know, aren't going to be able to work and, you know, it's really hard to give that money, but it's like, you know, and I know it's going to be hard for me and my husband in a way, but our you know, there's no doubt that we aren't going to stop tithing. We're going to continue tithing because it's the Lord who gave us these jobs. It's the Lord who's providing for our needs. And, you know, when we give to him, we, every time we tithe, you know, we know fully well that, that he's going to meet all the needs. And you know what? He does. We've never had to worry about rent We've never had to worry about utilities. He always comes through and it's always, you know, even when the extra bills arrives, he just comes through perfectly. And it's like the exact amount that, that we need. So that's how he is. He's faithful, but we have to be faithful as well and trust him. And it's a step of faith, but you know, like me and my husband, we've done it for so many years. There's no doubt about it. Like every time we get paid, it's this goes to the Lord. This amount goes to the Lord. And it's not that hard for us to write that check out. And, and the Lord has spoken to us as well in different areas about, you know, going above and beyond our tithe. And, you know, the Lord has blessed us greatly every single time. And it's, and you know it because the Lord urges you and you're just sitting here going, well, you're kind of like planning what you want to do with this check after tithing, you know, especially like a bonus or something like that. And the Lord just will, will just prompt you saying, no, I want you to put it here. I want you to give it to this person. I want you to, and you know, and it's not every single time that we get a bonus check or anything like that, but there are the times that he has pulled through and just said, hey, you know, I want you to take this and go above and beyond, you know, your tithing. And I want you to give it in a certain area. And then when it comes to missions, missions, it's amazing when you give to missions because missions is also going for the work of God and it's going to support a missionary. And you know, just depending on the church that you go to and the denomination you're in, like I'm with the Assemblies of God, we have a lot of, of missionaries all across the world. And, you know, our church is such, you know, and the Assemblies of God is so great with missions. You know, I really love, that's what I love about that denomination is they're so great with missions. They have so many missionaries out there with a heart to, to take the gospel to so many people. And, you know, I've gotten to know some missionaries, you know, the past few years. And it's like, it's no, 
you know, and you start getting to know a lot of these missionaries, and it's like a, a great joy that when you're, you know, able to give to missions, it's it's not like it's a burden. It's like kind of a joy because you know what they're doing, and you know what these funds are going for and, and all of that. And so that's my challenge is, you know, if you're not tithing and if you're not giving to missions, start praying about it and let the Lord lead you and guide you. I can't tell you how much, you know, to write out, you know, that's up to you. And that's between you and the Lord and the Lord will guide and direct you. And it also, you know, in, in the book of Malachi, which we'll talk about when we get to the book of Malachi, it talks about, you know, test me. He says, test me. And it's in regards to tithing. Test me. This is the one area, the one time that we can test the Lord is in tithing. (laughs) And so if he says, test me and tells you what to write out, then do it, you know, trust him and, and test him and he will come through. So that is pretty much the book of Leviticus. And then in Numbers, uh, we start off with Numbers and it talks about a census. And what is happening is they're in the desert of Sinai at this time. And God commands Moses uh, to, to take a census of the whole Israelite community except the Levites. This command is coming 10 and a half months after the people arrived at Mount Sinai, and that's 13 months after the Exodus. So the events that are recorded in Numbers occurred over a period of approximately 39 years, which is the total time of Israel's wandering in the desert. So this is generally what Numbers is going to be about, is, is their journeys in the desert, because... They don't listen to God and they let fear and negativity take control and and doubt take control. And then, so we'll get into that later, but this is kind of the idea of, of the book of Numbers. And when we start off, it talks about a census of the whole Israelite community. Now he, they could not take a census of the Levites because they were set apart for the Lord. The purpose of the census was to organize Israel into a nation and an army. And them taking the census, it emphasized that each individual was important to God's redemptive purposes and that the nation's activity was to be ordered and fully accountable to him. So that's what was going on. And then we, we were having a daily reading until 40 one, which, you know, ends at the tribe of Asher. And then it's like the tribe of Naphtali. And so I'm going to kind of go over the rest of chapter one, just because it's all connected and there's not that much left. And then we can start talking about chapter two in the next podcast. And, and I believe all or some of chapter 20 or chapter three as well. So in verse 46, the total number that they get is 603,550. 
But this is the number of males above the age of 20 who could go into the military. This is not including the Levites. This is not including uh, women and children. This is not including those. The nation of Israel, they're thinking total perhaps at least 2 million people. So think about that. 2 million people out in the desert. Yeah, when we think about it, we you know, when we think about, you know, the book of Exodus and the Israelites leaving, we kind of just think of this tiny little group. You know, it had to be more than 12 because there's 12 tribes. But you kind of just think of it as tiny. And it's like it wasn't. This was probably approximately 2 million people. That's huge. I mean, I live in Wyoming and we don't have 2 million people in Wyoming. So, you know, there's, it was around 2 million, maybe even more. Who knows? So thinking of this, this many people out in the desert to have them sustained would have required a perpetual miracle. This is a truth that God's word clearly stresses. So think about that. He's taking care of 2 million people. So when you think about it, if he can take care of over 2 million people in a desert, he can take care of your needs. <laughs> that's, that's mind-blowing when you think about it. He took care of all their needs, which it's also, when you think about it, when it's 2 million people grumbling in the desert, except for maybe a few, so it's okay, not exactly 2 million. That's a huge riot. And I could see where Moses might have gotten scared a little bit because that's a lot of people that are angry. So just thinking about that. He also talks about the, the Levites that they weren't to be counted in the census as well. They were to take care of the tabernacle. They were to assist the priests. They were set apart for, for God. And in verse 52, I'm going to talk about this a little bit. The Israelite camp, they were organized with an inner circle of Levites around the tabernacle and an outer circle of the 12 tribes with three tribes on each side of the tabernacle. And the line of the march was also organized in such a way that when the cloud lifted, they could move quickly. And when the cloud settled, they could find their places in the camp without confusion. And we can think about this with the Bible. And I had to pause that for a second because my phone was going off and I had turned it on loud for some reason today. So, continuing on, you know, the Bible teaches organization is not for organization's sake, but smooth operation for the work that needs to be done. The tabernacle in the center of the camp symbolized the lot, that the life of the nation revolved around the Lord and the worship of him as the redeemer. And that's how it is in our life. The Lord should be the center 
and our worship of him should be the center of our life and that everything else follows you know our our marriage our our families and it just continues on and that's how you know we should live is God at the center of our lives so that's generally chapter 1 of num- of numbers and and so that is the book of Leviticus and so I'm we're going to take a quick break and then we'll jump into Psalms So we're back in Psalm going into Psalm 33 and Psalm 33 just like appears right after Psalm 32, which we talked about Psalm 32 and Psalm 32 was going over, you know, talking about sin and when we allow sin to conceal in our hearts. And then Psalm 33 jumps into, you know, worshiping the Lord And we get into verse four, it says, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is unfaithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. So when you think about it, when we talk about today and there's just something like a, and I was watching a video today, you know, and, and talking about like a healing and, you know, we look around today and you know, like we look at Jesus when he was healing people, they were healed. And there's this thing going around today that, you know, if, if it doesn't happen, it's not the Lord's will for you to be healed. And it's like, but the word of the Lord is right and true. And if he says, you know, and we see over and over again, healing happening, and, and it says, you know, by his stripes, we were healed. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that his desire is not for us to be healed. You know, and we'll talk about it a little bit, like with this, in, in the book of Mark a little bit, with the, the, with this woman who's a Gentile and her daughter is demon possessed that she kept persisting over, you know, in prayer to the Lord. And, and pushing Jesus, you know, to heal her, her daughter, but she does it with wisdom intact. And so we think about this with Psalm 33, you know, and we think about today too, even in, in general ideas of, of what's going around, a lot of people say, well, God's word is, you know, invalid in a lot of things. It's archaic. And only from New Testament on should we focus and it, and not focus on the Old Testament. So then you think about it, it's like, okay, well, we're not supposed to focus on Psalm 33. So you shouldn't be quoting Psalm 33. You shouldn't even be talking about the story of Esther. You know, I keep telling people that going, okay, so you're saying it's archaic, but when we go through the Old Testament, there's Psalms and you're quoting Psalms and teaching from Psalms. That's essentially, if you're saying the Old Testament's archaic, then you're saying Psalms is archaic. But it's like, no, it's this whole book is alive and his word is right and true. And it speaks about God that he is still faithful in all he does. 
you know, we read, you know, everything in this Bible, we see his faithfulness coming through and it should, you know, in our prayer life saying, okay, you did this for, for King David, I, you know, and you persistently saying, okay, you can do that, do it again and you will do it again. So I think that's something that we have to start thinking about is, you know, that the Lord is wanting to do these things and his word is still true and that it's still active and that the earth is still full of his unfailing love. You know, we see chaos all around us, but that doesn't deny that, you know, it doesn't say that, you know, he's not on the throne anymore because there's coronavirus going around that it doesn't say that he's not on the throne or anymore because there's so much sin, you know, there's, you know, in people's lives, he's not the center and we'd rather live in, in immorality, but it doesn't mean that he is off the throne. He is still on the throne and his earth, the earth is still full of his unfailing love and the promises are still there. And then it says, it talks about in thir- or verse 6 of Psalm 33, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Now the word breath, the, the Hebrew word is ruach, is I think how you say it. It can also mean spirit. The breath of God is thus equivalent to the activity of God's spirit. This verse contains an important biblical truth. The union of the power of God's word with the power of God's spirit through the operation of faith always releases the creative power of God on behalf of his people. You know, God, you know, this, this Bible is inspired. It's inspired by God. It's his words to us. Yes, he used humans to, to write these Psalms, to write the stories but it's still God's words. And so when we're praying, that's how important it is, is to pray scripture in, in our lives because it is a weapon, you know, to, to take to the, to the throne of God and, and, and present your case, you know, and, and our requests, our prayers, our troubles. We can pray scripture and it's powerful. You know, it, it can, you know, it's, it's so powerful, you know, and then there's so much to it, you know, and, and it can divide us under, it can, it will change the spiritual realm. And when the spiritual realm starts to change, so does our, our lives. So, you know, so does the physical realm. When the spiritual realm is tapped into, so is the physical realm. So that's how important it is with this, with praying scripture, because this came from God. And so when we're praying this scripture, it's powerful because it's God's word. It's, it's active and alive. And so then that I, I'm just kind of picking some, kind of going through some of this. And I think at some point we'll just sit, 
you know, go through a podcast of going and really diving deep into these Psalms. But you look at Psalm 33 with verses 18 through 19, it says, you know, the eyes of the Lord are on all his people, those who fear him. They rest in a special way on those who fear him. And fearing is not like the fear that we see right now in this world where you're hoarding toilet paper and, you know, and, and buying, you know, 10 cases of bottled water. That's not the fear that you have with the Lord. It's a reverence towards him because he's holy. And, you know, that kind of relationship with the Lord, you know, that kind of relationship with the Lord, it it brings intimacy, it brings a closeness. And you start, when there's such a reverence, the Lord starts trusting to, to share his heart with you, you know, and because like we see, like, you know, I, I think there was such a relationship between him and David, but all, when you really think about it, it, when you look at Daniel, when we see Daniel, there's nothing ever. Daniel is the one character, one of the few characters, but when I look at it in a way, Daniel, that there's never anything bad written about him. Daniel was so, had such a reverence for the Lord. And when you look at his story and, and, and look at the book of Daniel, the visions he ends up having, the Lord reveals those because he was held highly esteemed by the Lord and the Lord trusted to share these visions with him. And these visions, you know, prove, have been proven true, you know, in history. So when you think about that, there's those who fear him. There's such a relationship there that the God, and that God starts revealing things because their hearts are so open to allowing the Lord to work in their lives. And they have such a fear and reverence, especially like those who really have a heart to evangelize with people and bring the kingdom into grocery stores and stuff. The Lord really begins to work through them because there's such an openness and a closeness. When we think about this as well, God's eyes, you know, it refers to God's caring love and, you know, um, oversight of our lives to deliver them from death and famine, it means that as long as we fear the Lord, put our hope in him, wait for him and remain in his will, God's going to watch over and protect us so that we will not die unless it's our time to die. But when you think about it, you know, and, and that's what I, you know, hear over and over. And I tell people, we're going to be surprised when we get to heaven Because the Lord is going to show us several times when he has intervened. You know, the car wreck that should have happened, he intervened. The the person that, you know, was supposed to kidnap you and hurt you, that didn't happen. We're, you know, we're going to see the times that he protected us over and over and over again. You know, yes, we still live in a fallen world and people do fall ill and sick, but God is still on the throne 
and he's our healer. And we're going to be surprised how many times he actually protected us. So that's what I really wanted to point out in Psalm 33 today. And so so we're going to take a short break and then we're going to jump to Proverbs. We are back and we are talking about Proverbs chapter 5 and it is talking about adultery. And the book of Proverbs, it it's not just in this chapter, it repeatedly warns about the destructiveness of sexual sins. And the author Solomon, he emphasizes that through the pleasures of sexual sin are or that though the the pleasures of sexual sin are deceptively attractive giving into them will lead to ruin think about it if you are marrying and you allow adultery to come in you know it leads to ruin it leads to a ruin of marriage it leads to a ruin of your moral your your morality you know people will not trust you it and it'll affect even the relationship the forbidden relationship you're in and it affects family especially you know if there's kids involved it affects the family negatively it affects the kids negatively for the re- you know it affects them negatively especially if they don't have Christ in their lives it's going to affect them how they are in their relationships because they see the standard that you provided. It leads to ruin. And it, and it separates you from God because it's a sin. It separates you from God. And, and we find it in this chapter and in several other chapters throughout the book of Proverbs. You know, the alternative to sexual morality is listening to God and his word. And there's several things to avoid adultery, you know, and these days you have to be careful. I know that there's the Me Too movement, but sometimes there are some, and I'm going to say this, you know, carefully, I'm not saying every single one that has claim sexual assault is a liar but I know that there have been some that you can tell have lied you know and so you have to be careful these days especially when you're married being very careful in your marriage very guarding and putting up boundaries you know which is being careful and discreet in all relationships even in, in in relationships of the same sex because of what happens, you know. Being very discreet and very and guarding your your boundaries and saying, No, I can't which me and my husband were that way, you know. He doesn't meet with young women or any other woman by himself and I don't meet with men by myself. It's something that I I do and even as a reporter I don't 
they have to come into the office where there's other people and other witnesses there, you know, it's being careful. And, you know, I don't have, you know, a lot of, I don't have friendships with, with males. You know, I do have brothers in Christ that I pray with, but you know, if we want to hang out, it's like you have, you know, it's hanging out with my husband and you bring your spouse as well. And it's, it's, you know, couples, you know, double dating, everything like that. It's being discreet in that, you know, being careful, you know, about talking about your marriage in front of other people, you know, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with having a close friend, you know, you know, women having a, a female, you know, especially an older female that's been married for years and going to them and saying, you know, I'm struggling with this in our marriage and asking for prayer. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, but there are relationships that are bad, you know, where a friend can actually be hindering that marriage in a way because they are telling you, well, that person is bad for you and being the negative. So if you have a friend that is totally negative towards your spouse and, and trying to cause trouble, I think you really need to start reevaluating that friendship and saying, you know what, I think we should be friends at a distance, you know, because that ruins marriages as well because they make you start hating your spouse and then saying well that person looks better for you in 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 a way I've heard of that happen so another thing is having disciplined restraint prior to marriage and fulfilling natural sexual desire through a holy love life in marriage so the having discipline restraint prior to marriage it it means not having sex before marriage choosing not to view pornography before marriage being very careful about what you look at and because I mean that's a huge thing is keeping yourself pure because when you keep yourself pure you know it's it's pretty much you're you're when both you and your spouse are pure, it's pretty much saying that we can trust each other to be pure together. So, anyway, so there's that. And then having, you know, fulfilling natural sexual desire through a holy love life and marriage. You know, and that's only keeping yourself for your, for, for your spouse, reserving yourself for your spouse and only finding desire through your spouse, nothing else. When you start feeling like something else is better, I just want to say that when you feel like it's, there's something better through somebody else, then you're allowing the enemy at your table and which is Satan and you need to start praying against that. Then, and over and over he talks about, you know, warnings against adultery. And that it brings the brink of utter ruin 
to to people's lives. You know, when we give in to sexual morality, you know, we'll experience great regret and remorse, you know, because of the breakdown of family and impersonal suffering. You know, it may feel like a sweet experience, but it ends with bitter regret. And, and over and over, he just keeps, you know, like, drink water from your own cistern. You know, he's continually saying desire for, for, for your spouse, desire for your spouse. And in verse 21, it's saying for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. So not only are you sinning against your spouse, but God sees and knows on our ungodly ways. We think we can hide it. And we'll see that with David when he commits adultery with Bathsheba, that he thinks that he could hide it from God and he doesn't. He does. He may have hid it from people, but he didn't hide it from God. And he knows our ungodly ways and he's going to judge us accordingly. And because of our activities are in full view of the Lord, no one guilty of adultery will escape its terrible consequences because it's going to come up and we see it and you do see it in today, you know, the scandals that happen with, you know, famous people. We just saw it with Harvey Weinstein and, and we continue to see it over and over. It ruins you know, many people, it ruins many people and, and their lives, their families, all of that. So we just see that because you can't hide it. So that's essentially Proverbs 5. So, you know, my challenge is, is really guard your heart in your marriage. And if you're not married yet, you know, and I just want to say if, yeah, you haven't been pure, sexually pure, and you, and you come to know the Lord, you can always start again and just say, you know what, I'm going to take this day and say, okay, God, I'm reserving myself for a future spouse that is going to be godly and, and that's going to be my spouse. You can start again. And and that's just what I want to challenge you is you can start again and, and live that life and, and let Jesus take over. You, and I've seen it in several instances and, and there have been people, they lived that life and then they turned around and they made themselves pure. And then the Lord did give them a spouse and their marriages are running are, are, are beautiful. So there's always a, a chance you know, a second chance. So, and if you're not married yet, just make that choice that you're, you're going to live pure for your spouse. And, you know, people will say, well, that's, you know, old time tradition. Well, you know, it's time that old time tradition comes back. So we're going to take a break and we'll come back and talk about the book of Mark. We are back and we're talking about 
Mark chapter 7. And just so you know, if you hear maybe a faint trait of music in the background, it's the neighbors. And so no, I am not listening to secular music. I can't control who around me listens to music, secular music, but so that's what's going on if you hear a fairy trace and they turned it down from originally. So I think we're good, but, uh, talking about Mark chapter seven and Mark chapter seven is Jesus has this whole thing with the Pharisees and this tradition of the elders. And I actually have a, a Bible and it's uh, a New Test Testament Bible and it's from Perry Stone and he's a really great evangelist, uh, really good at teaching uh, deep, deep stuff. And I had in his, his study Bible pulled out, you know, just to look and see if there was something that I, I could share. And I found, um, I ended up finding this, I ended up finding this thing that is, it's titled the tradition of elders. And I'm going to read this because it's going to help us to understand the traditional uh, traditions of the elders. So the traditions of the elders was part of the oral law added to the law of Moses over the centuries. So we've talked about the, the law of Moses and in Exodus and Leviticus. Okay. So these were being added. The Hebrew people were not to do any work on the Sabbath as mentioned in Exodus 20 verse 10. Thus, over time, the elders and scribes had to define exactly what work was. A series of traditions emerged that were 39 works known as the father wor Father's works, which, if not followed, could lead to death by stoning. All food had to be cooked before sunset on the Sabbath day, as it was not permissible to light a fire between Friday at sunset and Saturday at sunset, 24 hours, the Jewish Sabbath. On the Sabbath, it was permissible to spit on the ground on a rock and rub it with your sandal, but debatable to spit in the dirt and rub it to the point of creating a rut and thus break the law of plowing on the Sabbath day. A person could not wear an artificial limb on the Sabbath because this would be carrying a burden on the Sabbath. A woman was not permitted to look into a mirror on the Sabbath, lest she be tempted to pluck a gray hair, breaking the laws of plucking on the Sabbath day. Laws included forbidding the wearing of false teeth on the Sabbath, as this fell under the law of carrying a burden. So those are some examples of what happened. To the Pharisees, these traditions became equal to the written law of God. This is why the Pharisees criticized Christ for spitting on the ground to cure a blind man on the Sabbath, for commanding a lame man to take up his bed and walk on the Sabbath, and for rebuking the, the disciples for not washing their hands before eating. To them, Christ was breaking the, the traditions. Thus, in their eyes, he was also breaking God's laws. So that is essentially what was happening and chapter seven, it when and you know, as believers, we're in danger of having of a religious spirit, just like the the Pharisees 
had in the Sadducees, these religious leaders. And there's such a progression with a religious spirit. It grows and it pro progresses. You know, it starts small, but its progression causes major damage. And it makes the word of God of no effect in the lives of those who give place to it. So if you get a, a, a spirit of religion and it's left unchecked, we become subject to a demonic stronghold. And, you know, which a lot of these leaders, as we see, they added to the law of Moses, which made it impossible to follow. You know, for example, you can't have false teeth, can't have your prosthetic, but you can have it any other day, you know. You know, and as it progresses, you know, following traditions becomes more important than anything else, including God's word and his work. Which, you know, when you think about it, like in today's standards, it's simple as saying, well, church has to be done at noon. You know, it starts at 1045 and it ends at noon. You can't end earlier than that, but you can't end any later than that. Not even a minute late. And I've seen that. And it's just like, it hinders the work of God because they say, well, then you, you can only have this many songs. You can only sing these type of songs. It gets to the point that you start losing focus of who God, you know, of, of letting God work in a service. And we get into six and verses six and seven and it says Isaiah prophesied that these men would only offer lip service to God and the religious spirit will do the same with us on the outside we look committed but the inside we're we're cold towards God and that's how it's dangerous because you become cold towards God you you look like you're serving the Lord but on the inside you're not and if lift service is not dealt with, then the next downhill step is, you know, useless worship of and to him. And what's worse is we then throw out God's commandments and teach commandments of men. So it starts progressing and it gets to the point that we're not even teaching God's law anymore. We're just teaching, you know, the commandments of men. And we can also see that he look, you know, he outlines, you know, progression from fault finding to putting aside the commands of God, you know, where they find a fault and it's just, you start losing that relationship with the Lord and you're just, you're setting aside God's command. And then we end up ultimately rejecting God and we see that they perverted the word of God to keep their own traditions in, in order to follow their own agenda. And we see that with the Pharisees. They had set it equal to God's word so they could have their own agenda. And I think as believers, we have to be very careful, especially when it, you know, they're talking about clean and unclean. You know, Jesus said it's not, you know... It's not anything that outside that makes him unclean. It's what's inside the heart. 
And so, you know, essentially one, he was saying all food was clean at that point. And, but he was mainly saying that it comes from our heart, which you think about it. It's from the heart where is where lust starts, where, you know, the heart is what brings deception because, you know, we want to, it wants to keep us off track, you know, from, from what the Lord wants us to do. And so, and that's where murder comes from. That's where adultery, stealing, you know, foul language, it comes from the heart. And so when you're praying for somebody, you pray for their heart, that their heart will gain compassion and Christ-like, that it would start breaking for what hurts God, you know. That's when, you, when you're praying for somebody who you, you know, you're praying for that they would be changed. You start with the heart because that's is right. That's where the center of it is. So that's essentially part of chapter seven, and then we go into the faith of the the Syrophoenician woman. And essentially, you know, Christ was there to heal, but why is he hiding in this vicinity of Tyre? Well, when you think about it and look into it. Tyre was actually in the middle of Gentile country, and Jesus was there for the Jewish people first, so he was there for the Jewish people to bring salvation to the Jewish people, and then, but I mean, he did die on the cross for all of us, but he was there to preach the kingdom to his people first, the people that were set aside, and then... You know, the gospel was to be spread out into the Gentiles after he ascended. So the Syrian Phoenicia, Syrian Phoenician woman comes in. She's a Gentile. And she's begging Christ to drive this demon out of her daughter. And his attitude is, you know, let the children eat all they want. You know, children is referring to Israel. And that he was indicating that the gospel must be taken first to Israel. The woman understood this. However, she responds to Christ in wisdom, perseverance, and faith. And I've talked about that in the book of Matthew because this story was in the book of Matthew. That we have to keep persevering in prayer even though we may see a delay we have to continue to persevere because sometimes there are spiritual barriers we have to go across. You know, she argues that it's God's purpose for Gentiles to receive blessings indirectly when he blesses Israel. And he rewards her for her diligent faith, you know, and you know, we have to have that same perseverance. And we occasionally have to reason with God. And it's, you know, going into the word and saying, you said this, God. And being, and like I said, keep persevering, keep striving, you know, persevering in prayer because, and not giving up. Not giving up. The enemy wants you to give up. And if you give up, you're missing out on the blessing that God has for you at the end. So, that's essentially mark today and so for the next episode we're going to read numbers chapter 1 verse 42 through chapter 3 verse 26 
Psalm 34 verses 1 through 10, Proverbs 6 verses 1 through 2, and Mark chapter 7 verse 31 through chapter 8 verse 13. And so I'm going to end in a prayer and I just want to say thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love and your devotion to us. Lord, we just give you the honor and the glory today, God, and, and who you are. And Lord, we just worship you. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just begin to work in our hearts, Lord, and Lord, guide and direct us in your will. Lord, and Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit would just come upon us and that, Lord, our lives would just continually be changed by you. Lord, I pray for marriages today, Lord. I pray that you would protect them from the attack of the enemy. Protect spouses' hearts, Lord. Guard their hearts and their minds, O oh Lord Jesus, from sexual sin, O oh Lord God. And I pray today that you would just touch us, Lord. Let us be in your word, but not allow tradition to take over our lives, Lord, or religious spirit. Let our hearts just be pure for you and our worship pure for you. And we just... Thank you and give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, you guys. Mm -hmm.